0: you have your Bibles, we'll be in Genesis chapter 40 today. We'll also be in Genesis chapter 41. Continuing this series of messages we've called Perseverance as we look at the life of Joseph and we see how he persevered in faith through the different challenges that he had in life. I do hope you have your Bible because we're going to look at a lot of Scripture today. I, I maintain that Reading the Bible in church is not a bad thing, okay? So uh, we're going to be looking at a lot of Scripture. If you don't have a Bible, the scriptures will be on the screen today, so you can follow on with me. You can follow along with me there. Uh, let me start out by asking you this question: Have you ever had God speak to you? Now, for some of you, the alarms are going off because you're like, "Okay, what kind of church are we in right now? Uh, is he going to bring out the snakes? Is he going to start walking on hot coals? You know, you know, what what is he talking about? God speaking to me? Well, I've never had my bushes go up in flames. I've I've never had a, a choir of angels appear in the east sky and start singing to me or anything like that. But throughout my life, I've had God speak to me. I remember. When I was 14 years old, probably the most vivid experience of having God speak to me was at camp when God really just showed me, told me, you're supposed to be a pastor. I, I want you to be, <clears throat> be a preacher. And because of that moment when God spoke to me, uh, you're enduring this right now <laughs> because God spoke and, <clears throat> and I eventually obeyed. Now, one of the things that I never could have imagined I never could have imagined the journey between the dream that God gave me to be a preacher and today. I couldn't have scripted it. I couldn't have written, okay, I'm going to go uh, to seminary here, and then I'm going to go to Austin, and then I'm going to go to Grace, and then I'm going to go to Murphy. I couldn't have written all of that out. All I knew is that God had spoken, and I, I wanted to obey. I think sometimes in modern Christianity, we think that God doesn't speak to us anymore. We're kind of like my daughter Kara, She uses the time, uses the term "Bible days," and we think, "Okay, God spoke to people back in Bible days, but He doesn't really speak to us anymore." Henry Blackaby, in his book *Experiencing God*, came out back in the '90s. It's really one of the landmark Christian books of the last 50 years. He talked about different ways that God speaks to us today. He said, first of all, God speaks to us through the Holy Spirit Jesus said I'm not leaving you as an orphan I'm, I'm going to send you a counselor a guide and so as believers the scripture teach it scriptures teach us that the Holy Spirit indwells within us and he guides us and he leads us and he convicts us and he shows us light and he guides us through life's path and so frequently God speaks to us through the Holy Spirit Now, God also speaks to us through the Scriptures. Uh, We believe that the Scriptures are God's revelation to us. So God has revealed Himself, His purposes, His ways in Scripture. And so when we read the Bible, we understand the will of God. We understand what God is doing and what He desires, and God speaks to us through the Bible. You ever had the the Lord speak to you as you were praying about something Uh, in prayer God speaks to us. I'm afraid, uh, and we can talk more about this in the weeks ahead, but I'm afraid that prayer is becoming a lost discipline within the American church. But God speaks to us through prayer. God also speaks to us through the church. As a church, we are a family. We're living life together. And so sometimes uh, God shows us something through other believers, uh, other believers recognize a gift that God has given you. Other believers put you in a position of leadership, and you're able to answer the call of God because He surrounds you with other people in life that help you. Sometimes God speaks to us through circumstances. I used to have a professor, Dr. Haryu, and he always said, Circumstances are the fingers of God you know, when he talked, it sounded like the Holy Spirit was talking himself. But circumstances are the fingers of God. I think back when I was 27, I had just finished seminary. I wanted to pastor a church. And so I I was looking for an opportunity to pastor a church. And there was one church that wanted me. And so I was like, okay, I think I know where to go. The one that wants me, that, that, that's where I go. So we, we move to Austin. Circumstances are the fingers of God. And then sometimes, uh, we see this a lot in Scripture, uh, sometimes God speaks to us through dreams and visions. Now, be careful here. I know some of your Baptist red alerts are like going crazy right now, okay? But, but in Scripture, you see God speaking to people this way. Be careful because that dream you had may just be a result of The pizza you ate, you know, you got to really decipher, uh, is this God or is this just me having a dream? But sometimes God speaks to us in this way. As a young man, God had spoken to Joseph. In a dream, God had shown Joseph, this is ultimately your destination. You're going to be a leader. You're going to be the patriarch of your family. Now, that's countercultural at that time period. Young children did not become the patriarch. Only the oldest brother became the patriarch. Joseph was way down the line. But God had spoken to him. Now Joseph could have never imagined the journey that he was going to go on between the dream that God gave him and its reality. Now let's understand something. When God determines something, when God speaks, it's going to happen. But for Joseph, His journey to reality involved betrayal from his brothers. He was sold into slavery, taken to a new land. He was accused of rape. He was thrown into jail. That was probably not the vision that he had for his life. And can you imagine, put yourself in Joseph's sandals, how he must have felt day after day. He worked in the prison. He had no hope. He had no dreams of a better tomorrow. Genesis 39 says something really interesting about Joseph's time in the prison. It says, number one, that God was with Joseph. Secondly, it says God extended kindness to Joseph. Thirdly, in the prison, the Bible says that God granted him favor. God also gave Joseph a ministry in the prison. And, and these are the Bible's words, not mine, the Scriptures say that the Lord made Joseph successful in the prison. Now, I'm beginning to think that God may have a different standard of success than many of us have. For Joseph... He had to look for the opportunity, for the joy, for those moments to make much of God where he was. And as he did that, he was successful even though he was in a state of imprisonment. Now, while Joseph was slaving away, living out his life there in the prison, it's important for us to realize God was at work. God was doing some things that Joseph could have never imagined. Look with me to chapter 40, verse 1. After this, the Egyptian kings, cupbearer and baker, offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned Joseph to them, And he became their personal attendant. And they were in custody for some time. So perhaps a couple years passed, several years passed. The Egyptian kings, Cupbearer and Baker, who were confined in the prison, each had a dream. Both had a dream on the same night, and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they looked distraught. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were in custody with him in his master's house, Why do you look so sad today? We had dreams, they said to him, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Don't interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So here we go. The chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph. In my dream, there was a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms came out, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. This is the interpretation, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. In just three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. You will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand the way you used to when you were his cupbearer. Then notice verse 14. But when all goes well for you, remember that I was with you. Please show kindness to me by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing that they should put me in the dungeon. For Joseph, he had a glimmer of hope, much like cowboy fans this time of year. You have a glimmer of hope. It's training camp right now. Their record is 0-0, zero zero, 500 like they're used to. And so they have a glimmer of hope that maybe this year will be different, but very soon the games will start and our glimmer of hope will probably be extinguished at that point. But right now you have hope. Yeah, for the record, I, I am a Cowboy fan, so I'm just having fun. Just having fun. Just having fun. Just having fun. Yeah you got your computer up and everything, don't you? Okay. Well, what's the score in the game? I'm kidding. Uh, Verse 16. You're taking notes, Paul. That's good. I'm proud of you, man. Good for you. Y'all don't mind us. We're just having a conversation. Don't use big words. Yeah. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was positive. Now, that part cracks me up, too. Like, when he hears that it's a good interpretation, he's like, hey, I also had a dream. Can you interpret my dream? Three baskets of white bread were on my head. Now, this is why the Pharaoh was mad at him, because he was serving wonder bread to the Pharaoh, okay? I mean, white bread, come on, it's the Pharaoh of Egypt. At least give him whole wheat, multigrain. In the top of the basket were all sorts of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is its interpretation, Joseph replied. The three baskets are three days, In just three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head From off you, it gets better. He's going to hang you on a tree, and he's not through. The birds will eat the flesh from your body. That probably went over real well, didn't it? On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he gave a feast for all his servants. Now, it was common in ancient Egypt that the Pharaoh would release a prisoner on his birthday. So he lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, Pharaoh restored the chief cupbearer to his position as cupbearer, and placed the cup. And he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But Pharaoh hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had explained to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Everybody say, "Poor Joseph. He's forgotten." Now I would imagine, with all the festivities going on, the cupbearer, the baker leaving the prison that Joseph thought, maybe this would be my day. And on day one, he was probably excited every time the guards came. But then day one passed, and day two came, and then day three and four and five. And there was Joseph, still stuck in prison. Now Joseph, at this point in his life, is at a crisis point. God, have you forgotten me? It's me, Joseph. The guy in the Technicolor dream coat. Have you forgotten who I am? Let's see. The baker's dream, it came true. The cupbearer's dream, it came true. Whose dream hasn't come true? Oh yeah, that'd be Joseph. Lord, what are you doing? Why am I stuck here in this prison? Now hear this well. When God speaks to you, when he calls you to follow him in some way, maybe it's leadership, service, church membership, salvation, uh, family life. When God speaks to you, it will almost always cause a crisis of belief. Am I really going to follow God in this or not? God called Noah to build an ark. Hey, Noah. Noah. Go build an ark. But then there was a crisis. Years went by. Noah slaved away building the ark, and there was no rain. God called Abram to be the father of a great nation. Abram, I'm going to make you father Abraham, and out of you, there's going to be a great nation called Israel that I will use. But then there was a crisis of belief. But God, I'm way too old. My wife is old. We're past childbearing years. How can you do this? God says to Moses, hey, go down to the Pharaoh, and you tell him, let my people go. And then after God speaks, there's a crisis. I don't speak well, God. And besides, the last time I went down to the Pharaoh, uh, he was trying to kill me, so I don't think it's a good idea for me to go there. God tells the children of Israel, after leading them out of Egypt, leading them through the desert, God speaks and says, go into the promised land and take the land. But then there's a crisis. God, have you seen the people and the armies that live in the promised land? We look like grasshoppers compared to them. There's no way that we can do this. God comes to the young man, David, and anoints him as the king. He says, you're going to be king. But then there's a crisis because there's already a king, and that king Saul is not too fond of David becoming the next king, and so he winds up hunting David like a wild animal trying to kill him. There was a crisis. God comes to Esther. He says, you're going to be queen of Persia, and then there is a crisis because God did not exalt her to be the queen simply so that she could win future beauty contest. She wasn't called to be a diva, but her role, her exaltation was so that she might go in and argue for the salvation of her people. She was supposed to be a a liberator of her people. God comes to Mary, and he says to her, I have chosen you. You are going to give birth to the Messiah, but it led to a crisis because in order for her to give birth, she was going to become pregnant. The people in the community were going to think ill of her. She was going to, at one point, be put aside by the love of her life, Joseph. God comes to Peter and he says, Follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. So Peter leaves his fishing business. He leaves the family business. He follows Jesus. But then there's a crisis that develops because Jesus is not going to be a political leader. He's not going to set up a throne room in Rome. But instead, Jesus says, My kingdom is not of this world. And Peter has to push through the crisis in faith. Because what he thought God was going to do was not what God intended to do. When God speaks to you, there will be a period when you go through a crisis. Am I really going to believe this? Is this really God? God, do you really know what you're doing? Now, when you find yourself in that crisis of belief, you will either turn to pride, or you'll turn to faith. In that crisis of belief, you'll either scorn God in anger and push away from Him, or in the midst of that crisis, you'll trust Him and learn to depend upon Him. When you're in that crisis, do you respond in pride, or do you respond in faith? You say, well, I... I'm a self-made man. I find myself in difficult circumstances. So I'm going to white-knuckle my way out. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to get there. I can do it. I'm a Texan. I had a taquito for breakfast. I can handle this. Get out of my way. There's a mess. If there's a problem, I'll get there. And so you turn to pride. Self sufficiency. And for every accomplishment that you achieve, there's a mess that you leave behind. And your efforts are only matched by the depth of your frustration. Now, the other response is to turn to faith. I think we need to understand as Christians that faith does not mean that we're lazy. In faith, we still work hard, we still press forward. But we embrace grace. We realize that there's a lot of things that we can't control, a lot of things that are beyond us, a lot of things that God is doing that we may not even understand, but we're going to place our trust in God. And now, this is key. When you're pressing forward in faith, you start looking for the goodness, the joy, and the opportunities that are right in front of you. That may be like Joseph in prison, in a foreign land. But wherever you are, you start saying, okay, God, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to look for the goodness and the opportunity and the joy right in front of me because I believe that even though I don't have all the answers, that God is at work and God loves me and he will take care of the situation. It's when you push through the crisis, when you push through that crisis in humility and faith, that's when you begin to experience the joy of the will of God in your life. Two years later, chapter 41 begins. Pharaoh had a dream. And he was standing beside... Excuse me, I need to clear my throat. He was standing beside the Nile when seven healthy-looking, well-fed cows came up from the Nile and began to graze among the reeds. I'm told that was common in ancient Egypt. After them, seven other cows, sickly and thin came up from the Nile and stood beside those cows along the bank of the Nile. Check this out. The sickly thin cows ate the healthy well-fed cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep and dreamed a second time. Seven heads of grain, plump and ripe, came up on one stalk. And after them... Seven heads of grain, thin and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven plump ripe ones. And then Pharaoh woke, woke up, and it was only a dream. When morning came, he was troubled. So he summoned all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I remembered my faults. Pharaoh had been angry with his servants, and he put me and the chief baker in custody of the captain of the guard. He and I had dreams on the same night. Each dream had its own meaning. Now, a young Hebrew, a slave of the captain of the guards, was with us there, and we told him our dreams, and he interpreted our dreams for us, and each had its own interpretation. And it turned out just the way he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent for Joseph. So they quickly brought him out of the dungeon. He shaved, changed his clothes, and went to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have a dream. (laughs) Sorry, I have a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said about you that you can hear a dream and interpret it. Now notice verse 16. I am not able to, Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is God who will, give, who will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Now, who's the star of the show here? Is it Joseph? No, it's God. God's the star of the show. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, In my dream I was standing on the bank of the Nile when seven well-fed, healthy-looking cows came up from the Nile and began to gaze or graze among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly Very sickly and thin came up. I like this next part. I've never seen such ugly ones as these in all the land of Egypt. I mean, these are some really ugly cows. This is kind of like if you're an Aggie, this is how you view longhorns. Okay. I mean, these are some ugly cows. You like that, Jack? You like that one there? Okay, okay. (laughs) Uh, Ugly, ugly cows. All right, move on here. Verse 21. When they had devoured them, you could not tell that they had devoured them. Their appearance was as bad as it had been before. And then I woke up. In my dream, I had also seen seven heads of grain, plump and ripe, coming up one stalk. After them, seven heads of grain, withered thin and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up. The thin heads of grain swallowed the seven plump ones. I told this to the magicians, but no one can tell me what it means. Bunch of losers. Imagine all the magicians standing around him with their head hung low. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven ripe heads are seven years. The dreams mean the same thing. The seven thin, ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven worthless, scorched heads of grain are seven years of famine." It is just as I told Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt. After them, seven years of famine will take place. And all the abundance in the land of Egypt will be forgotten. The famine will devastate the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because of the famine that follows it, for the famine will be very severe. Since the dream was given to Pharaoh twice... It means that the matter has been determined by God and he will carry it out soon. So, let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this. Let him appoint overseers over the land and take a fifth of the harvest of the land of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. Let them gather all the excess food during these good years that are coming. Under Pharaoh's authority, store the grain in the cities so that they may preserve it as food. And the food will be a reserve for the land during the seven years of famine that will take place in the land of Egypt. Then the country will not be wiped out by the famine. The proposal pleased Pharaoh and his servants. Then Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find anyone like this? A man who has God's spirit in him? Hey, does anybody, anybody have any idea of anybody that can hear from God? Any of you magicians have any suggestions, huh? Anybody know? Oh, how about Joseph? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one as intelligent and wise as you are. You will be over my house, and all my people will obey your commands. Only with regard to the throne will I be greater than you. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, See, I am placing you over all the land of Egypt. Talk about a promotion, Wow, Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and put it in joseph 's hand. Now, what that means is that Joseph could sign for the Pharaoh. The signet ring was how they how they had the, the, the pharaoh's signature. He clothed him with fine linen garments and placed a gold chain around his neck, and he had Joseph ride. In his second chariot, Joseph was styling, linen clothes, gold chains, signet ring, second chariot, so that all the people could see he was second in command. And the servants called out before him a brek, which means servant of the household. And Pharaoh placed him over the land of Egypt. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but no one will be able to raise his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt without your permission. And Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphnath Panea, and he gave him a wife. There's a little romance, but it It's kind of a directive romance, but it was a romance. Asenath, daughter of Paraferra. I still don't know why I'm doing that in a Spanish accent. I don't know, It's that rolling that R is just so natural to do it there, but all three services, I did that. So he gives him a wife, priest of On. Now, On was the sun worship capital there in Egypt, so I would imagine there was some interesting discussions within the household. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt, basically taking care of the Pharaoh's business. Now, I know we just covered a lot of Scripture, but I want you to notice five things. And we'll be through today. Number one, I want you to notice that God had clearly spoken to Joseph. When God says something, it's going to happen. God had clearly spoken to Joseph. It wasn't just a dream. He had heard the voice of God clearly. Secondly, I I want you to notice that Joseph could have never imagined the journey that he was going to go on from dream to reality. Sometimes God speaks to us, and He calls us to something, and we say, okay, God, I'll follow You, and, and we can't imagine all that God has in store for us. And sometimes that's good, because sometimes as we follow God, we're going to go through ups and downs, and there's going to be twists in the road that might take us through some difficult circumstances. Thirdly, when Joseph went through his crisis of belief, he turned to faith and humility rather than pride. He didn't push away from God. Instead, he leaned into God. And I think that's important. Because in each of our lives, we're going to go through those moments where, okay, God, this is where you've led me. You told me I'm supposed to be married to this person. I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to have this business, this career. Uh, I'm supposed to move here. Okay, God, this is what you've clearly shown us, yet this feels a little awkward, In that crisis, are you going to turn to pride and say, okay, I'll take it from here, or faith? Joseph had turned to faith. And even though he couldn't see where God was working, he was faithful in Potiphar's house. He was faithful in the prison. He did the right thing even whenever things were very, very difficult. And all the while that he was trusting God, God was at work in his life and God was at work in the kingdom. God was giving Joseph opportunities to develop leadership He couldn't have envisioned what was down the road for him. God was at work in the Pharaoh's house. And God invited Joseph to be a part of what he was doing. And in the end, God received the glory. Now, before we sing, a couple questions I want you to take home with you. This is your homework. Mull over this. Think about this. Number one, where is God speaking in your life? What is God saying to you? Where is God leading you? Where is he leading your family? What is God speaking to you about in your life? Secondly, how are you dealing with the crisis of belief that inevitably follows the call of God in your life? Are you responding in pride? Are you pushing away from God? Or are you leaning into God and responding in faith? And then thirdly, I want to remind you to never forget that God is at work. One of the greatest flips that you can make in the Christian life is to change your mindset from, hey God, I'm at work, will you please join me in this? To, God, where are you working? Because I want my life to be a part of what you're doing. Whenever we push through those crises of belief in faith, trusting God, that's when we experience the will of God, the joy of God, And the goodness of God. And I believe he wants to use your life to be a part of his story. Would you be so kind as to stand with me please as we bow our heads together and we come to a time of commitment. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, and I ask you again, where is God speaking to you? It may be that the crisis of belief in your life has been trusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And it may be that today God has shown you that that you need to be a believer in Christ and now's the time for you to trust in Him. And so with your head bowed, I would invite you just to call out to God and say, Lord, I'm a sinner and right now I'm believing in Christ as my Lord, as my Savior. And I pray that you'll give me the strength and the ability to live for you from this day forward. If today is your day of salvation, if the day that you believed in Christ, I invite you to tell me about it. I'll be here at the front row. I, I'll always love praying with people. I always It's my honor to pray with you. So if there's news that you need to share with me, if there's something that I can pray with you about, please come see me. Maybe in your life, uh, God has shown you that Murphy Road is... Is your church. This is where you need to be a member. This is where you need to serve God faithfully and grow in Him. And your response to God needs to be obedient to follow that call. And so you might want to come see me during this next song or see me right after the service and tell me, "Lash, I believe God's, God's leading me to be a member here. I realize that in any room there is always pain And some of you right now may be in a deep, deep crisis. And I want to encourage you in the midst of that crisis to embrace faith. Trust in the Lord. Look for the goodness. Look for the opportunity. Look for the joy that is right in front of you. You do what is right in the eyes of God, and it will be okay. The Scriptures say that we are to trust in the Lord, lean not into our own understanding. In all our ways acknowledge Him. And let Him direct our paths. And I promise you, my friend, God is at work. And God is good. God is loving. And isn't it great that God allows us to be a part of what He's doing? Father, thank You so much for this time. May we devote the totality of ourselves to You. In Jesus' name, amen.